Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Clear Eyes, Full Hearts, a podcast presentation of Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. This is an episode-by-episode look at the award-winning TV show Friday Night Lights, created by Peter Berg. I'm Stacey Orstano. I played Mindy Collette-Riggins. And I'm Derek Phillips, and I played Billy Riggins. Our assumption is that you, our listeners, have already watched the show. But if you haven't already, go watch Friday Night Lights, which is currently streaming on Peacock TV, because there will be spoilers in our podcast. If you want to support our show, subscribe for free to our new YouTube channel where you can access exclusive content. We have a YouTube handle that makes it easy to find us. That's youtube.com slash at Clear Eyes Full Hearts. Also, we're continuing to release new episodes of the podcast every other week. That's right. So join us as we recap all your favorite episodes, chat with amazing guests, and answer your questions. Email us what you want to know at clearizefullheartspod at gmail.com today. We're talking about season four, episode 10, I Can't. It was written by Bridget Carpenter and directed by Amy Kanan Mann. The NBC synopsis reads, Tim puts Tammy in a difficult position after Becky comes to him for help, and Vince must deal with his mother's medical emergency. We have a fantastic guest joining us today, Angela Renee, a.k.a. Regina Howard, a.k.a. Vince's mom. But before we chat with Angela, let's recap this episode. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, Stace, we start this episode in a church. I feel like we haven't had an FNL church moment in a minute ever since Smash graduated. Dylan has turned into nothing but heathens, but we're back, baby. And Luke is feeling super guilty after getting Becky pregnant because the pastor tells him how wonderful he is and what a great athlete he is. And the whole church is proud of Luke. And of course, you know, that pride cometh before the fall. <laughs> so Luke is feeling extremely guilty about his role in Becky's pregnancy. Like it's one thing to feel guilty and then you're feeling guilty while you're sitting in church and then you're like, yes, really guilty. Is there anything worse than guilt in church? <laughs> you have a story. My whole entire childhood. <laughs> yes. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I grew up very, very Catholic. We used to have to go do confessional every week. And one oh, time man. I went into the confessional and I kid you not, I didn't do anything bad that week. I was just kind of quiet and, and did whatever. But I thought that the priest wouldn't believe me. So I made something up and I said that I picked a fight with my brother. There you go. So I lied in the confessional about not having lied. Like the, <laughs> the Catholic guilt made me have to come up with something. That's pretty good. I like that. I was Presbyterian. We didn't have to confess our sins to a priest or anything, but there was still plenty of guilt and still plenty of guilt today. 46 oh, years old. Anyway, moving on. Okay. Uh, yeah, Tim, I see where Tim is coming from here. Tammy is always 
the person you want to go to when you have a problem that's too big to fix it for yourself. This is so strange though, because this isn't a kid that Tammy knows. She didn't go to her school. She's not one of her students. I hear you. I hear you. But it just feels like, you know, sometimes when you're a kid, you need like an adult to figure things out for you. And it feels like this is like the one adult. And because Becky trusts him, I think she implicitly kind of trusts Tammy. And I mean, Tammy does give some pretty decent advice here. And I did say last week that I think our writers on Friday Night Lights, and specifically in this scene, I think Connie Britton and Madison Burge do a really wonderful job of painting this very polarizing issue with a very gray brush. And, you know, you're walking on some thin ice here with this issue. And I, too, as a podcaster, am walking on thin ice by even talking about it. So let's move on to the next thing. Okay, we got Big Mary at the field. We have him actually coming into football. I feel like he's really coming around and starting to genuinely like coach. I agree. I also think that he might be starting to like Vince. He is. He's going to fight it. Like there's almost something fatherly about it. You know what I mean? That the fact that he's showing up to watch this practice, I know where it's going to go. So we can talk about that a little bit later, but yeah. I would have to think that he also knows Vince's dad and knows that he's not around and knows that whole story too. I think there's some of that too. So it is nice that he has that there. And speaking of Vince, I cannot fathom having to deal with the issues that Vince is dealing with at his age. I just need like, I need one episode again, always on FNL where like, nothing happens and we watch the kids just laugh and have fun. (laughs) Well, that's not going to happen. We know that there's never going to be like, you know, just a cheery episode where everything goes well for everyone. Maybe in the very end. I want one. (laughs) (laughs) I hear you. I know I've spoken about this on a previous episode of our podcast, but this was the episode specifically for me where Jason Kadams and all these new actors that had just joined the show in the fourth season really sucked me in. I mean, every storyline this week, I am fully invested. I care what's going on with Jess. I care what's going on with Vince. I care what's going on with Becky. I'm concerned with Luke's situation. It's really sneaky the way Jason Kadams, our head writer, snuck all this in. And here we are, you know, like episode 10. And I'm like, I don't want to say that I've forgotten about, you know, Street and I've forgotten about Tyra, but I care about these characters. I may have a little bit. Really? Yeah. No, but you just said that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, like when you think about it, like when we open in the church, it's like we haven't seen a church since Smash, since Lila, since Saracen. You know, it's almost a completely and totally different show. But some of those themes are still there. You know, church being a kind of thing that binds this community together. So you're saying you're a lion now and you're wearing red? Oh, 100%. I'm 100% a lion at this point. I am too. We had Jeremy Sumter on the show and he is primarily responsible for my (laughs) switching over to the lions. He did a really wonderful job. And if you guys listen to our interview with him, he's a great guy. He was a great kid and he's grown up to be a great man. And Mm -hmm. and this is one of the things I love about doing this podcast. You get to reconnect with these people that we knew 15 years ago. Yeah. Just to have a conversation with Jeremy and see how totally different he is from J.D. McCoy. It's really lovely. Angela is going to talk about this later in our interview, but God, the handcuffs really got to me. It was just a moment where everything is so heightened and all she wants to do is just reach out and touch her son and she can't. And like Vince is probably looking for like a soothing touch from his mom and she physically (sighs) can't touch him. Like in my gut, I felt it. Yeah. The whole entire scene, I literally had written down in my notes, this scene just guts me. I can't wait to talk to Angela about this scene in particular. And then Vince is wondering why. And he says, am I that bad? Like, of course, that's what every child would think. Like you're obviously doing this because of me. Why else would you be doing it? Yeah. It's heartbreaking. They're so good too. Mike would be in this scene. God, he's so good. Yeah. Good Lord. They just crush it. 
This whole episode, I find myself crying in like almost every scene in this, this episode. This one was a lot. And some moments are just like happy cries, you know? Yeah, this one is a lot. Yeah. But speaking of pros going at it, you put Steve Harris and Kyle Chandler in a scene <laughs> together, just the two of them. It was like watching Titans go at it. Yeah, I love their argument about Vince too. Coach winds up having a little too much to drink in his argument with Big Mary at the bar. Tammy then has to drive him to go pick up his car in the morning. Coach can't find his car. I quit drinking about five years ago and I remember a few nights like that. Yep. I think you probably had to drive me back to a bar once or twice in my life to go More pick up a car. More than <laughs> I don't miss that. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't miss oh it. Oh my God. And yes, he makes him walk, to walk across to go to the car. Yeah, it did make me kind of giggle. Steve Harris says something in that scene where he says that Vince reminds him of himself or that he, Vince is basically him. Yeah, that's how he knows how he's going to play. Yeah. And I think that that's interesting. I wish we knew a little bit more about Big Mary and why he's so opposed to being involved with anything football related. I don't know something if he got injured happened, or if, yeah. something bad happened. Yeah. I don't know if that it's that he put all of his stock in it and it broke his heart so badly mm -hmm. that, you know, he just can't be around it because it hurts too much. But that's why I said there's something almost fatherly about the fact that he sees himself in Vince and mm -hmm. maybe it's he wants to be there to make sure Vince doesn't, you know, make the same mistakes he did or something like that. I, I don't know. I, and I don't know that we ever get the chance to find out. I really don't remember. That kills me. Yeah. Okay. I heard my own voice yelling <laughs> Billy and I was like, oh, I'm in this episode. I totally forgot. Nope. No, I am not. Also, I did not go in and do ADR to say that. So what they did is they took another time that I screamed at you and you said They can't the do that. You had to have done ADR. Either that or they have to pay you. I promise they you. They can't lift your voice from another episode. You may be owed back money. You better talk to SAG. I promise you. I Because I, 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 <laughs> I was like, about it's not even you. Right. It's just something that sounds like me. It's Tony Griffin doing your it's voice. Tony, Tony Griffin. Tony Griffin was our second AD on set. And yeah. He doesn't mean Mindy Riggins. But anytime you had like a phone conversation off camera with yeah. whoever, it was usually Tony on the other end of the phone because yep. the other actor isn't always there for a phone conversation. Yes. Nice apron. Thank you. Glad you said that because <laughs> I chose that. I think at one point I was baking a pie. I literally went, oh, pie's done. And they were like, that's mm -hmm. too much. Billy like baking too pie much. Is, not, is, is not a thing, I believe. We were just trying to have fun with that scene. I have a little story about this whole entire episode for me. So I got a phone call from Jeffrey Reiner like a week before this episode. And he goes, hey, you want to come work on trauma with me? Jeffrey Reiner, as we've talked about guys and had on the show, he was mm -hmm. one of our former executive producers and he was the directing showrunner of Friday Night Lights for years. And he moved on to work on a new show with Peter Berg called Trauma that was very short lived on NBC. So anyway, Jeffrey Reiner calls me out of the blue and he's like, hey, you want to come to San Francisco and work on trauma next week? And I was like, dude, I'd love to, but I'm working on Friday Night Lights next week. And he goes, you think I don't know that? You think, you think I didn't clear all this already with Nan Bernstein? And I'm like, oh, well then, yeah. And he's like, good. So you're on the next flight out to San Francisco. And I was like, great. So I literally like two days later, I'm in San Francisco. I wound up shooting in San Francisco for four days. I wasn't supposed to come back until like that next Friday. So I had like three days in between. I literally worked like a 14 hour day, start at like six o'clock in the morning. I get done around 10 o'clock at night. I get a phone call from Nan Bernstein and she's like, hey, your scene got bumped to tomorrow. We're putting you on a flight out of San Francisco tonight. You'll get into Austin around seven o'clock, eight o'clock in the morning or something like that. So I had to fly from San Francisco to LAX, had a layover at LAX and then flew to Austin, got into Austin at literally like seven or eight o'clock in the morning. They drove me to set, went into my trailer, got changed and then went straight to set on Friday Night Lights. And that's the apron scene. And then this other scene where we're digging a mm. trench. It was like the longest 
30 something hours I've ever had in my life working. I basically lost my voice by the end of it. But it was also one of those moments where I was like, I feel like a real actor, I'm jet setting all over the country, mm -hmm. going from one location to the next, working on two different shows. We call those princess problems. Yeah, it was a princess problem. <laughs> I've never had that problem since, no. unfortunately, but it was just a whirlwind, like 34 hour period for me. And literally when I got back to my place in Austin after that, it was like my head hit the pillow and I was out immediately. Just Dunskis. Fun time. <laughs> <laughs> Jeffrey's like, you think I don't know that. Of course. That's how he always is. He was directing that show, The Affair, back in the day. And I called mm -hmm. him and said, you know, I was watching the show and I loved the show. I had no clue you were attached to it. And then I saw your name in the credits and I immediately called you and texted. And he goes, yeah, you're calling me because you want a job, don't you? And I said, no, I'm calling you because I thought you did a great job. You're such a schmuck. He goes, if I told you you have a job, you'd come tomorrow. And I said, yeah, I probably would. You don't have would. to act like that. Can't you just take a compliment, you jerk? No. That's the way guys are with compliments, unfortunately. Not all guys, but most. I have worked more than one minimum wage job. And to yes. ask for a $4,000 advance on a part-time minimum wage job. Oh boy, Vince needs help because yeah. that's not going to happen. I too have worked uh, minimum wage jobs and yeah, 4K ain't happening. It's like trying to get water out of a rock. It's just, mm. it's not there. And Big Mary just doesn't have it. So I'm worried that Vince is going to go look elsewhere. And that scares me. I hope he doesn't make a bad mistake. Big Mary is like, I am not giving you, God, what is it that he said? He says, I don't have it, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to help you or something right. along He's like, those lines. I, I'm not giving you the money. That doesn't mean I'm not going to help you or something. Yeah, he something said like it that. much more eloquently than I can say it. But I was like, oh yes. God, this guy really cares. And then the way that our writers write family dynamics on this show, it's always surprising to me. Jess's speech to her dad, to me, was so surprising, but so sincere. I felt everything that she was talking about. Like, how are you going to, you care about him and not me. I really love this scene between the two of them. This is right after Vince has left. And I never thought of it before, but when Big Mary says that he's just like Vince, I think that may be part of the reason he wants to keep Jess away from Vince. Oh, that makes sense. And as I said before, I mean, this episode, it's like every one of the storylines from these new characters, I'm completely and totally invested in. It's just another beautiful scene. And literally every scene from Vince in this episode, I'm blubbering. I mean, I got snot bubbles coming out from the amount of crying I'm doing. Beautiful work by everyone involved. Except for you and Taylor, you guys can go jump off a bridge. Where did you <laughs> film this burying scene? I honestly have no clue. Oh, because it was right after you got off the airplane. Yeah, I was literally on fumes. Like I got to my trailer and like passed out for like five minutes and they're like, we're ready. And I'm like, okay. Go dig a ditch. Yeah. No clue. Yeah, digging a ditch. I just remember like my voice being almost completely and totally gone because on that show Trauma, I was playing a bank robber. And so the whole time I was just screaming. Down on the ground now, you know, that kind of thing. And doing that for four days straight and then coming back in. Like my voice was like that. Yeah, it was Dunsky's. It works, though, because you're burying cars. That's a hard Yeah, thing I do. look exhausted. I felt exhausted. I was exhausted. <laughs> it works. I was, I was method. Just in this same emotional vein of this entire episode, this Tammy Becky scene is just some of the most glorious writing. Bridget Carpenter does it to me every time. Yeah, She's nails so it. damn good. And just another scene where it's brilliantly acted by the two actresses. It's the first time, you know, I, I mean, we joked early on about how Madison was kind of annoying. Not Madison specifically, but Becky, yeah, the Becky. character, is kind of yeah. annoying. And it's like on a dime. I love her. I love her. I'm invested. I, I care about her. her. 
beautiful scene by Connie and Madison. I knew it. Virgil shows up at that peewee game and watches his sons play for the first time. Remember I said there were times in this episode where I was happy crying? This is one of those moments where I'm literally happy crying. I see him come out on that field. I see him start coaching his kid up and I just, Mm -hmm. I started. (laughs) But then he grabs his son away from Jess and he's like, go out there and have fun. Michael B has always, he's played a lot of characters where he is a caretaker, like a caretaker of his younger brothers or a caretaker Mm -hmm. of his mother, a caretaker of whoever. And he just, he does it so, so well. And it hit me that like, that's because that's Mike. He is a caretaker of people, like the people in his life. I had the opportunity to get to hang out with him and his sister when we were working on Friday Night Lights and him and his sister and I were at a premiere a few years back. And yeah, I mean, he's very family oriented and he is, he's a natural caregiver. He cares about people, takes care of people. And if you guys have ever seen The Wire, I mean, it's It's that. It's that. Yeah. He's taking care of his little brothers. It's just Mm -hmm. heartbreaking. He's so good at it. But then of course I fell in love and he's a caretaker. And then he gets into that car and gets handed a gun by my very good friend, Cedric Neal, who plays Kennard. And he is a very, 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 very bad guy. This is the thing that really worried me early on when he has that scene with Steve Harris and he's asking for money is that he has no outlet. There is nobody he can go to to get no, this money from. No, and he from. has to get it. He has to have the money. Yes. Unfortunately, he winds up getting in with some bad folks. I mean, we already know this character, Kennard, is the guy who's approached Billy with the uh, chop shop idea, or it was his idea for the chop shop, I think. I have a feeling this probably isn't going to end well. Doesn't seem like it's going to end well. I actually no. don't know how it ends. Luke. And again, like Matt, in the same token, they are just good. They are good <laughs> people. Luke is just a good kid. And I love that he told his parents the truth. I I honestly couldn't believe that. We got to see his parents' reaction and see their family dynamic. And it was very, very honest. Yeah, I agree with you. That that was the thing that kind of struck me in this episode is I think they did a really fantastic job of showing both sides of this very, very controversial issue. We got to see inside Becky's family, her mom's reaction specifically, Mm -hmm. who was like, you are having an abortion tomorrow. And then you get Luke's family who's like, this is a human being. You know, this is murder, kind of that other side of the issue. Just a fantastic episode. As I said before, guys, I mean, this is a very difficult subject to bring up. And I think Friday Night Lights does a a really wonderful job of painting it all with a gray brush. I said before, Mm -hmm. there was a a band called Live back in the 90s, and they had this song. The lyrics went, this is not a black and white world to be alive. I say the colors must swirl. And I believe that maybe today we will all learn to appreciate the beauty of gray. There's nothing preachy about it. It's like, this is the story. These are the sides. This is life. Yeah, this is life. I don't think anybody's taking a stand. Nobody's on a soapbox saying Mm -hmm. this is the way it should be done or this is how it should be done. Friday Night Lights does so well. That is the end of our talkback session, guys, but don't go anywhere. We have Angela Renee, a.k.a. Vince's mom, coming to chat with us after the break. We're thrilled to have Angela Ronay, a.k.a. Regina Little, a.k.a. Regina Howard, a.k.a. Vince Howard's mom on the show today. <laughs> Angela has had a long and illustrious career starring in such films and television shows as Jack and Bobby, A Scanner Darkly, Parenthood, Elvis and Annabelle, A Woman Betrayed, Private Practice, and one of my all-time favorites, the 2015 Best Picture nominee and Oscar-winning film Boyhood starring Ethan Hawke and mm. Patricia Arquette and directed by the incomparable Richard Linklater. Angela. Thank you for taking the time to join us today. I like to ask this question of every actor that comes on the show. How the okay. hell did you get into acting? Uh, we're starting off easy. <laughs> we're starting easy. Oh, 
Okay, so I don't have a conventional story. Even better, I like that. Even better. So years ago, I think I was in my late 20s. At the time, I was an avid fitness competitor, like swimsuit competition chick. I told you guys that Vince's mom was hot, and I don't know that anyone was (laughs) listening to me, but I'm telling you, this lady is a smoke show. They make her look terrible on Friday Night Lights. (laughs) Thank you, Derek. So I was doing that type of competition, getting myself into good shape and prancing around in a bikini on stage. And matter of fact, here in Austin, there was a a competition. I think it was called the American Dream Girl competition. Is that not cliche? (laughs) Went up on that stage and I ended up winning the competition. And I was approached backstage still in my bikini by this man, stranger to me. And he handed me his business card and said, you know, I think you have the perfect look for a film. It's an indie. And I'm looking at him like, yeah, I'm in a swimsuit right now. I just pranced (laughs) across the stage. I'm thinking, you know, porn. I don't know. I don't know what he's offering here. (laughs) My my indie film. (laughs) Exactly. My indie low budget film. Anyway, I took his card just to be nice went on about my way. And a few weeks later, I'm cleaning out my car and I come across that card. And for some reason, I was like, I'm going to just, for the heck of it, I'm going to give this number a call. I called the number and it turned out to be a legit small short film in Austin. The role was for a news reporter, which is totally in my wheelhouse because my previous life, I was a news reporter and anchor. I went to the audition Of course, since, you know, it was something that I was familiar with, I nail it, I booked the part. That's how I got into acting. Once I did that one little small... What if you hadn't found that business card? (laughs) You know what? Exactly. Had you ever done like a play in high school or anything like before then? Yeah. I mean, you know, in elementary school, I remember not in high school. In high school, I was a jock. I I was a volleyball and basketball Mm. player. So that was my stage at that time in my life. But in elementary school, definitely we did Scrooge. And I remember Mm. I memorized everyone's lines in the play just in case. I don't know why. But of course, at that age, you're a sponge and you can take all of that in and, you know, remember all those lines. I can't do that now. But basically, that was my only time acting as a small child and then lost sight of that and life takes over. And like Stacy just said, had I not just on a whim called that number, who knows, you know? That's crazy. That is a crazy it, story. We've had some crazy was, stories on this show, but that was right that's up crazy. there. But then it was just like, after that film, you were like, I'm in, I want to do more of this. Yeah, what I loved about it was, because it kind of took me back to my days of working in television and being an anchor reporter is that I got to see that, camaraderie and that team. Again, going back to team sports, I loved seeing all the people behind the camera and what they're doing, the people in front of the camera, and it just felt so communal. And then again, I think because it was in my wheelhouse, that particular character, I was like, wow, it's this easy, not realizing, obviously, you have to work to be an actor and do a lot of study. But the bug definitely got the best of me. And I started training, going to classes shortly after that, started doing student films, you know, where there's no pay, but you just want to, you know, get out there and do what you can do. And slowly as time went on, the ball just got bigger and bigger and bigger and more opportunities came. I stuck with it. You bring up such an interesting point about like the communal aspect of film and television. And I wonder if that is the thing. I mean, it is a form of church, I think, for some people, because it is such a welcoming place. I mean, every different type of person from every different type of background, from every walk of life is kind of welcome in this little business that we have, (laughs) Uh, especially (laughs) in the theater. Like, 
yeah, that's where the misfits go. If we don't have anywhere else to fit in, we I just remember yes. like rap parties in college or, or closing night parties when you were doing a play and like you'd look around the room at like the party and it's like the most crazy assortment of mm. people from all different types of backgrounds and walks of life. And it's like there's no other place that I think all these people would be getting together and actually getting along except for maybe a church, you know? Yeah, yeah. no, I, I totally agree. That, that kind of ties everyone together. Yeah. So, okay, let's talk about Friday Night Lights for a little bit now. I mean, what was your audition experience like? Because we've all heard some crazy audition experiences. We've heard maybe a crazy audition story about you as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think Reiner told us a story about you. I want your story. Okay, I'm feeling so much pressure now. Okay, I will say that it was arduous and it was long because I went in, I want to say, I think I went in three times. In Austin, yes, with Beth. Yes, yes, with Beth Stefko, sweet Beth. I think I went in about three times. I know two for sure, but it's been a while since recalling this story. But the audition process was, as you both know so well, you prepare the night before. You may not get much sleep. I was agonizing over it, you know, this character, the scene that I was auditioning for, she was already in the midst of her drug use. And so I didn't shower. I didn't brush my hair. I didn't brush my teeth. I mean, my husband just loved, you know, being (laughs) next to me. (laughs) So I did all of that and then, you know, went in and did the audition. And I think the first round, I felt pretty good about it when I, you know, I'm shopping back to my car. And of course, a lot of actors, we replay in our head what just happened. And I really couldn't remember everything because it was like I kind of zoned out a little bit or I lost awareness of what I was doing, which was great. Yeah. Right. And then time went on. Like it just felt like it was probably you guys, maybe a week, maybe a week. Right. But it felt like weeks and weeks. And I heard from my agent at the time and she says, Hey, they want you to come back in. And I was like, Oh, okay. Got to come back. Okay, great. I go back in. Same thing. I'm dirty. I'm, you know, that whole thing, you know, no brushing teeth, the whole bit. I go back in and I do the audition again. And it was in front of more people in the room. I do kind of recall that. And again, I left. I felt good. I was able to recall more things that second round. And I thought, well, you know what? Hey, if it's meant to be, if the universe wants me to have it, I'll have it. But of course, that competitive... I'm an athlete by going to college. And so that competitiveness in me was like, man, I really want this part. And then all that energy started to come up. Then it felt like weeks and weeks and weeks, but it wasn't. It was just a few days, of course, but it feels like an eternity. I ended up emailing my agent at the time. And I said, listen, we haven't heard anything. I just really want to know what's going on, whether they want me or not. If I could get any type of feedback, that would be really great because the waiting process just seemed so just crazy. And I believe she came back and told me, well, they were auditioning in LA. And I was like, being a Texas actor, I kind of felt like, oh boy, this is probably it for me. I don't think I'm going to get this part. You know, that whole thing you do in your head. And then again, I'm not sure if I came back in for a third audition, but I know at some point another stretch of time went by and I ended up getting a call from my agent. And she said, hey, you're the cream of the crop type of thing in this situation, something to that effect. And you got the part. You are Regina Howard or Little. (laughs) And I was like, I lost it. I lost it in my room. I don't know. I just couldn't believe it because I know that they had several auditions in different areas. And for it to come to little Angela Renee from Texas, I was just like, all right, here we go. Let's dig into this character and move forward. 
So. Oh, so yummy. Had you been watching the show up to that point? Full disclosure, I saw bits and pieces of the show. I never watched it. You can full disclosure. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> I watched bits and pieces. And when I say bits and pieces, more so like, oh, I'm passing the TV and this show happens to be on. Let me peek in. Oh, really? 30 seconds. I know that. Okay. Yeah. And then on my way or something like that. But I never sat down and fully engrossed. And then once I got the part, I definitely didn't sit down and watch the previous seasons. I didn't want any of that. Wow. You know what I mean? I didn't want any. So I was just like, smart. I'm just going to do my work really and I'm going to prepare. Thank you. And we'll see how it all pans out. So, okay. Jeffrey said something. I might be misremembering this. No, uh, please. Sort of it's been years. Improv where he was like, okay, now do the scene again, but you see a fly on the wall and you're trying to talk, but you're watching oh the my fly gosh. on the wall. And he yes. said that's, that's what <laughs> cinched it for him. And he was like, nobody else can do this part except for you. Oh my gosh. See, when I told you when I left the room and I'm thinking like, what just happened? You know, oh, that was yeah, the part, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. They said something about, again, the fly, something on the wall and to just improv and go for it. And I'm under the influence as yeah. the character, right? Again, I can't tell you exactly, you know, what I did, I just knew that I didn't give it any thought. I just was like, yeah. go. That's he what gave Reiner the... said. He said you yeah. turned into the character like right in front of his eyes. Oh my gosh. Oh, I love Thank it. you. I love that. Thank you for letting me know that. It Aww. is funny though, when you talk about that, like walking out of an audition and replaying it in your head. When I lived in New York, Stacy probably still does this because Stacy lives outside of New York. Yeah. I remember like multiple times, like going in for an audition, getting done with the audition and then walking back to like the subway and running it through in my head. And then finally looking up like 10 minutes later and realizing... I walked in the wrong direction. Like, I'm, I'm in Brooklyn. I don't live in yeah. Brooklyn. And like, oh, yes. playing it in your mind and you're not like, actors should not drive after an audition. That's <laughs> another thing. thing that happens when you, this is the worst one and I'm going to fully disclose myself. I've done this. Please when you do. do an audition and it's like a really good cry scene and then you get mm. in the car and you look in the rear of your mirror to see like, what does my cry face look like? It's so just like self-obsessed and gross and I have done it. I love it. I had one <laughs> once where I was like, I had to ball. And I was like bawling my eyes out and I walked out into the waiting room while all these other male actors were waiting. Yeah, and I was like, hey guys, break a leg, everyone, as I'm like wiping <laughs> tears away from my face. Like, Absolutely. you guys have no shot. I just crushed it. Absolutely. See y'all. Yeah. We're oh my gosh. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh my goodness. Coming into set the first day, what did you know about the story? Did you meet Michael the first day? Like, what were you given at the beginning yeah. of like, this is what is happening? Yeah, I wasn't given much. Is it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? I don't think Friday Night Lights. Yeah, I wasn't given much. My first day on set, I was actually meeting coach for the first time he yeah, came coach to, shows up at to your, the apartment, to your right? door yeah yeah so oh, you um, money. yeah 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 right oh man oh that's 20, right and mike and mike sees it. yeah vince sees it yeah that's oh that's so horrible Ugh. yeah i didn't know much ahead of time obviously i got my sides a few days before and prior to all of that i knew obviously i was going to be shooting in the midst of her being addicted. So prior to that, I ended up checking into undercover, doing some work at Austin Recovery and befriended a lady by the name of Tammy. She actually ends up being an extra, either end of season four or top of season five. 
she came to set and they let her be an extra. In the, anyway, oh, wow. it was just so sweet, but she was very awesome and forthcoming in her experience. And she worked at Austin Recovery after getting clean. And she was at the reception desk when I first met with her. So I had already started all of that process and work prior to getting that first scene. And when I got to set, of course, I was you know, dirty and not smelling very well and didn't brush teeth and my hair was matted and all that kind of good stuff. And I ended up just going straight to the trailer and hanging out there because it was really cold that day, just waiting to call to set. When I was called to set, the driver, I don't know what driver it was, but I hopped into the van and he gave me the strangest look. It was like, I don't know. I think he thought I was like some homeless person getting into the van. And this is kind of in hindsight. When he looked at me, I looked at him like, whatever, you know, and I sat down. There was only a few people in the van that day. And then they took me to my apartment and I got to hang out in that space a little while before coach showed up. So living in that apartment and getting the feel of Regina's apartment really helped before that scene was shot. So my first time meeting coach was literally when I opened up the door and see that that scene. Yeah. Yeah. I always thought that that was such a wonderful advantage of Friday Night Lights is being able to shoot on those locations because I actually did get to go. I remember one day, I I don't know why I was at you guys' apartment. I think we were just shooting in the area, but I remember seeing you guys' apartment for the first time and probably, I think it was somewhere midway through the fifth season. And that location just tells a story, man. I mean, there's got a lot of character to it to say yes I really do think it helps tremendously and the set designer of the apartment and like you said the location itself it had so much to pull from yeah just walking up the steps of the apartment where it was located you can pull a lot from that as an actor and then get into the apartment obviously and that helped too and what about with Michael B did you guys ever like sit down, discuss the relationship, what was happening. Yeah. He was such a baby though. Oh my God, wasn't he? Like he was what, (laughs) barely 21? Barely. Yeah. Yeah. He was 21 because I remember going to bars with him, but. We did go to bars, so I hope there's someone else. Nope, <laughs> he better have been 21. <laughs> oh, man. Yes, we ended up meeting one time, I think at his hotel or something, wherever he was staying. And we were out in the courtyard area and just kind of started to talk about mom and son. Shared some personal stories, you know, of our own being Angela and him being Michael. And then just started building from the script and different sides and just trying to understand our dynamic and what our backstory is or was. And he was so giving in that. It just helped, I think, our uniqueness as son and mother come through. Because I've had people say to me, particularly when we were shooting years ago, fans of ours say that, wow, you know, the two of you, the chemistry... So to get that, as you know, as actors, to have someone see that chemistry and say, wow, or feel sorry for him because his mother is so out of it and the triumph of her eventually coming out of that. But yeah, very giving. I think we built a wonderful private backstory together. I love that. There's something about Michael that I love. Like when you're talking to him, you're the only person in the room. He's such an intense listener and like always right there with you. I love that. Mm -hmm. And then Chris coming into your family too, like that (gasps) unit was just so good. Yeah. One of my favorite arcs on Friday Night Lights was you guys' whole relationship, your whole storyline. 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. Well, and Crest too was just tremendous. All three of us got together later on once he appeared on the scene. All three of us got together and worked on some stuff together as well. Yeah, to get those layers that we needed. So thank you. I would have liked to have been a fly on the wall for that. That I think would have been really interesting. (laughs) Derek and I just peering through curtains, like trying to listen to our favorite actors. I I have goosebumps because... Well, again, what if you didn't pick up the business card? <laughs> you know what, Stacy? I'm scared. <laughs> you know what? I am with you too. Everything happens for a reason, my husband always yeah. says, right? Absolutely. And man, I just, as a joke too, I'm thinking to myself, oh, you know, no one's going to pick up or this is stupid. Right. And then they pick up and I'm like, yeah, so I met you a few weeks back and I was in a bikini. I was, yeah, I was in a bikini and <laughs> yeah, and you came backstage. And now we're here. was Friday Night Lights different than other shows that you've worked on, other projects that you've worked on? You guys know the answer to this question, I'm sure. It was freedom as an actor to show up to work, to know that that team we talked about in the front and in the back of the Mm -hmm. camera, everyone has your back. And the directors, every episode allowing you to get into the sandbox and to play. And then, of course, the whole camera situation where when you got roving cameras around you and all you have to do is, you know, stay focused and do your work and just be and, and yeah just be and the fact that we have to keep reshooting the same darn scene every you know 13 14 2500 times and i think friday night lights was that dream show for a lot of actors even actors who wanted to be on that show because it allowed you to like Derek said so well it allowed you to just be and to commit to what you needed to commit to and know that you were in safe hands all the way around all the way around in safe hands because everybody's showing up doing that much of their part everybody's showing up and doing exactly what they're supposed to do and like nobody's in anybody else's way I haven't had it work like that since then not to be like dismissive of the industry I love what I do no no no. it hasn't worked like that since then yeah yeah I understand Mm-hmm. I also wanted to get a little bit more specific about this episode that we're currently on, which is season four, episode 10. Your character is OD'd and Vince takes you oh. to the hospital. You're essentially forced into a rehab program. And as I said before, these are some of the more powerful scenes, probably some of the most powerful scenes in all five seasons of Friday Night Lights. Yeah. Every time I watch that scene with you guys in the hospital, it literally breaks my heart when you mm. kind of look down and see that you're basically handcuffed to the bed. Can you talk about what your process was like shooting those scenes and just describe your relationship with Michael B. Jordan on and off set in that moment? Yeah, thank you. That's a great question. I have to take a minute here because I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of catapulted back to when you said she was handcuffed to the bed, Derek. Yes. My heart rate picked up because I remember that. So prior to shooting that particular scene, I do recall this. It was a long day. It was a long day on set. I think the scene that was shot before us, which I don't know what scene it was, but it took a long time. So the setup for that scene took a long time because we were already in the hospital waiting around. So we were just waiting. And I want to say we waited, you know, a few hours, a couple of hours, because unfortunately it wasn't like we could go back to a trailer based on that location. I had an opportunity to peek into the hospital room that Regina would be in. And then I remember Michael, we weren't talking at the time, but he had this energy, this somber energy about him that day. He too was kind of pacing and looking into that hospital room, that bed, the sterileness of it, you know, whatever his thoughts were. And then at one time, 
as we were still waiting, we talked a little bit. I can't remember all of what we said, but it was related to that scene coming up. Then once, you know, they get you in place, I got into the bed, the hospital bed. I remember my hands being shackled to the bars. And I remember that sensation even now. And I remember almost having a moment before we even started shooting because it was so visceral for me as an actor. So I was able to pull from that, internalize that, and then have the physicality of actually being shackled. It opened up something in me. When you go to hug him and you realize that you're shackled to that bed, it just hits me every single time when I see that scene because it's like this reaction to the actions that you've taken. Yeah, you're literally physically being held back from being with your child at this moment. It's, I don't know, it's just, right. as you said, visceral right. is, I think we as an audience kind of feel that same way. Yeah, and then for Michael B in that moment, I mean, that scene, I mean, he, as you can tell, he's distraught. Yeah. And he literally just broke down. Mm-hmm. But it I know Mike is very to get close our, with to get... his own family. You know, like Mike he is really is. close with his family. I would imagine he was able to go somewhere with that as well, you know, yeah. within his own backstory and layering of his character. Hats off to him in that scene and, and how tough that was for the both of us. It's funny how even though we were pretending, it lands, doesn't it? Yeah. I just it I have goosebumps real. too, the fact of like coming into a show, you're coming into season four and they're entrusting you with this story that's so important and you guys just took it and did the absolute most with it it's just a testament to the two of you too well thank you for that thank you for that it's always hard too to come into the sandbox when something is already up and operating and it's doing damn well damn well like you guys were already doing damn well right and so you have like myself and Michael and everyone else during season four and moving forward. I was terrified. I was the new kid on the block coming into the sandbox and all that kind of good stuff. And Derek, I don't know if you remember, but one evening during season four, at some point, me, you, and a couple of other people ended up somewhere on 4th Street at a bar just hanging out. And you imparted some really kind words. And I'm not expecting you to remember them. And I don't remember them verbatim, but I know how they made me feel. And it's Mm -hmm. it's along this line of coming into a show that the engine runs so well. And we just want to come in and make sure we keep the engine running and not take away from that engine. And basically what you imparted to me was, you know, hey, you guys are good to go. Don't worry about anything. You'll do fantastic. You know, we got your back. This is a family situation. And you just made me feel a part of the team. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for reminding me. See, Stacey, I'm not a total schmuck all the time. All the time. (laughs) Not all the time. Only to me. Well, good. I'm glad. And I meant that. And I do think that, you know, as we've spoken before on this show, Stacey and I, that, you know, a lot of that comes from the top because I saw Kyle treat me that way, you know, and it was like, okay, well, how can I spread that onto the people that are coming onto this show? You guys didn't need it. You guys were so good. Really and truly that scene with the two of you and every scene that you're in, there's just a rawness and a realness to it. It hits you viscerally, as you said. And a lot of that is also the writing. Yes. Those scenes are always, I hear you, they're terrifying, but it's also why we do this and why we love doing this. Like chomping <laughs> so at the bit. Because, you know, so and then to have to wait around on the day, you're like, I want to shoot the scene. Yeah. I want to shoot the scene. I want to shoot the scene. You know, you're ready Absolutely. to go. You want to get it in the can. You want to make sure that you got it. You guys just did such a wonderful job. It's beautiful. They always say that acting is reacting and it's really fun to watch the two of you. 
the two no. of you. Uh, because while Mike might be listening, reacting, yeah, Mike might be driving Aww. the action that scene. It's watching a tennis match back and yep. forth. Wow, really lovely, thank lovely you. Work. We love you. Did you know? <laughs> I'll take it. Stacy, now you can ask about Boyhood if you want to. I oh, guess. now they have a mouthful of coffee. Boyhood's one of my top fives, but go ahead. <laughs> I love the movie so much. <laughs> when you were first told about the project, yeah, what, what year they... was it in? Because Boyhood, were you for those allowed who... to talk about it? Not allowed to talk about it. Oh my! God. There was no script. There was nothing to read. The only thing that I was told is that I was going to be a professor and a friend of Patricia Arquette's, and my character showed up. I don't know what year it was. I want to say seven or and eight. The film was shot over eight or nine years or 10 yeah, years. Yeah, it's like 10 years. Yeah. 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 Just yeah. shot year by year. Matter of fact, when my character shows up in Boyhood, we were still shooting Friday Night Lights. I couldn't say a word about it. That's crazy. <laughs> so I was, there was a couple of times when I was at set for Richard and then I was on set for FNL. Boyhood was just magical in the sense that Another project that Richard allows actors to show up and get into the sandbox. We had lived quite a bit on there. There were times that he would call cut and he's writing lines because there was no script. It was like, yeah. hey, let me just write these lines down. Say that. Mm, okay. How else would you say that? Okay. Let's go with that. Okay. Action. Like it was just raw and exploratory. And I mean, Richard's one of the best. And, and anytime that man has something going on and he wants me to be a part of it, sign me up. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, to take this young boy, Eller, and follow him all those years until he goes off to college and to capture that on screen and to be more loose with the storytelling of it and just have it organically blossom yeah. from year to year as he captured so well, Richard did. I mean, what can you say? It's one of those that will go down in history, right? Yeah, for sure. So for sure. And you can't do it again. Like he did it. That's it. No. It's done. Yeah. I mean, you know, put that in a box, wrap that up. Oh, and God, yeah, we're done. Scre- we're done. I screamed when I saw you on the screen. Yeah, that was oh. it. Because I didn't us. know. No, I didn't know that you were in it. I didn't know that Libby was in it. So it was yes. kind of like yeah. excited. Hey, I know. Hey. I, yeah. Exactly. One last question. Yeah. And yeah. that is what are you, what is one of your favorite moments on or offset or favorite memories of being on Friday Night Lights? You know, I hate to say the rap party, but there was a rap party that we had, you know, at the end of everything. And I got to meet Taylor, you know. And <laughs> that's right. You probably had never worked with him or like I around. never worked with him. And he Aww. was so gracious and so kind. We spoke there at the party and I remember scanning the room and seeing all of these faces, right? Everyone, some people you worked with on set, some you didn't. But I think the rap party, just kind of scanning the room that evening and seeing again, that team, the team, I go back to team, the people who did this project, loved this project. It was a lot of people's babies from yeah. producers, directors to the actors, you know, showrunner. I don't care who it was. Everyone to be all there at the same time and to scan the room. And I think I was having a reflective moment because that was actually the end, right? Mm-hmm. And we were all celebrating such a good run. And then to see just the family of people yeah. and to try to be present enough to internalize that moment 
and that time. And we cut a rug, people were dancing, we party. I mean, it was just fabulous. Yeah. That yeah, Sepco was, was there. And there were a lot of moments on that show where I remember like making like a mental check mark, like remember this. Yeah. yeah. But what you described, I think Stacy and I have talked about on the show is that I feel like from number one on the call sheet on down, everyone who worked on this show had a sense of ownership. You know, yes. that this, this is my show. You know, and yeah, it didn't matter right. if you were number one on the call sheet or number 85 on the mm-hmm. call sheet. And maybe this came from the powers that be up top, but there was this idea that this is my show, you know, yeah. and that this yeah. is my moment and I have the opportunity to own this moment. I'm bringing something to the table. And Absolutely. I feel like in a lot of shows, it's like you're there, you know, you're a cog in a wheel, you know, just <laughs> get in there and do your and thing and the get end, the hell like- out of here. Peter Berg and David Nevins and all those people wanting to come celebrate with us too. And I'm like, we're a part of this. Yeah. You're absolutely a part of this too. And it was a family. Exactly. And I, I've never met David Nevins in my life, but I love him. Yeah. Yes, exactly. All of those faces, all of those people that were there was just a beautiful thing to witness. And like you said, Derek, it's like everyone's baby and everyone took ownership and was proud of that type of work. And to add another layer to that evening, as I screenshot that time is I knew that that was it, not just the end of the show, but that type of shooting of a show, everything yeah. about it, right? Yes, I had moments on set too, where I would take a snapshot too as well. But that particular moment, because there was just so many people there that were part of that whole FNL family that I knew that I want to cherish this moment. So Yeah, I remember it like it was yesterday and it's bittersweet. How many years has oh, it been? Since 13, 12, 12, 13, 12 or 13 since years ending. since we wrapped. Yeah. yeah. And it's for those of you at home that can't see Angela, she looks exactly the same. It's annoying, guys. It's, like it's actually not, annoying. Well, not not ex- exactly the same as she looked when she was in her street clothes. Not like she looked when she was Vince's mom. <laughs> Thank you for the clarification. Yes. I appreciate it. People are like, oh, great. Wow. <laughs> she looks, yeah, she's um, on that stuff again. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time to be I with us. I love you. Thank you for I love you too. Us. It's great seeing your face. Love you too. That is it for season four, episode 10. But join us next time for season four, episode 11, titled Injury List. But until then, clear eyes. Full hearts. Can't lose. Clear Eyes, Full Hearts is a podcast presentation of Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. Executive producers are Stacey Oristano and Derek Phillips, Chris and Mindy Wimmer for Black Barrel Media, and Steve Walters for Ritual Productions. Our producer is Miranda Parham. Send your questions to Pod at gmail.com. And follow us on social media. I'm on Instagram at Stacey Oristano. And I'm also on Instagram at underscore Derek Phillips. Check us out on YouTube and BlackBarrelMedia.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.